Hello, and welcome to Involuntary. I'm your host, Ms. Diagnosed, and on this podcast, we talk about life inside of America's locked psychiatric facilities. So without further ado, let's get to it. So we last left off with me learning a lesson about throwing popcorn into a sleeping person's mouth. Very bad. Don't recommend it. Don't do it. Um, The man that I threw the popcorn in his mouth almost choked to death. And thankfully, he coughed the popcorn up. And I was not a killer because I was afraid that I was going to go to jail forever and my life was over. So I learned a little lesson about consequences that day. Um, I want to say it stuck with me and it did stick with me. Like I said last episode, but I also had a very hard time with my impulsivity. So it didn't really matter about consequences. My impulses were stronger than me realizing consequences. Um, so I continued on the medications they had put me on. I was a little bit getting used to it. It wasn't making me feel as, as, um, tripped out as it was in the beginning, but I still hated it. Um, it made me feel sleepy and just not myself. I didn't have my usual pep to myself and my, my creative thoughts were just everything was dulled the whole world was just dulled and it was like I was inside of a glass bottle looking out at everybody else that's how it felt and a couple of weeks went by when I was in that first hospital and my insurance ran out so guess what I was cured they sent me home with a list of instructions with prescriptions for medication and all that and um, as soon as I got home, things were different. Just between me and my family, my mom had started the cancer treatments, so she really wasn't able to interact with me like she would want to. You know, she was sick in bed. My dad was very stressed. We we were close, but with my dad, it was like he didn't know how to deal with me and my problems. He, we didn't know how to communicate very well. So that was an issue. And so when I got home, everything was just different. It was like life would never be the same again. Everything had changed for me. And I had surprisingly got really used to the hospital really quick, accustomed to it. And I would say this is the word they use, institutionalized. It happens fast. Because they tell you when to wake up. They tell you when to go to bed. They tell you when to eat. The rules are strict. They're there. They're always consistent. You know, the staff come in on a schedule. You know who's going to be there what day. Everything is so regimented. And that became a very comfortable situation for me um, with the issues that I was having. Because... Um, I am on the autism spectrum. I didn't mention that in the beginning, but later on I was diagnosed uh, um, as autistic. And so being in the hospital with that routine really comforted me. And when I got home and was just left to my own devices, I I didn't know what to do. Um, I was excited to get back to school, but I believe it was like a Friday and I'd have to go the whole weekend until school started. And so I decided I was going to play the piano just to keep myself busy because I just didn't know what to do. I was very upset and very anxious when I got home. And then I guess the piano was bothering my mom upstairs. I didn't, 
you know, I didn't, wasn't doing that on purpose. I didn't even think or realize that. And my dad started yelling at me and I felt terrible because he was saying that I was, I was hurting my mom by playing the piano and it was just crazy. It was a hard time for everybody. And I reacted because I love my mom more than anything. And the last thing I would want to do was hurt her. So when he said I was hurting her, which he didn't mean. He was just so upset himself about everything. He he didn't he just didn't know what to say. He was so beyond himself with her being sick. Um so I'll say that about my dad. You know, he was a great dad and always cared and kind to me. But just in those that those those times, you know, people have different reactions to things and that was his reaction. And so I started yelling and screaming and hitting myself because I, I I was angry at myself. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do. So my brother tried to control me. And then we got into like a physical altercation. And he ended up, he ended up pinning me on the floor. And it was just an awful situation. So my, 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 my parents didn't know what to do. So they called the hospital back up and they told them to readmit me. And before I knew it, before 24 hours was up, I was on my way back to the hospital. And um, I was partially angry about going back and partially relieved. Um, I did not want to take the medications and I knew they would make me take the medications at the hospital. I wanted to go back to school and have my normal life. But at the same time, this world, this life wasn't normal for me anymore. Everything had changed. So on the way back to the hospital, I felt a sense of relief and we got there and they admitted me to a different unit this time and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the staff or any of the the patients and um, it was a bigger unit and it was very bright on that unit and loud and it it just wasn't a good fit for me and um, right away I started having issues just because I was still upset about what happened. The medications, I believe, were really messing with my thought processes. And and I I just didn't react well to the, the new change on that unit and everything going on there. Um, the staff was wary of me, I think, because I was a readmit. They saw me as trouble. And so they really didn't have patience for me. Um, they were rude to me, very short, like... If I asked for something very, like, short with their answers, you know, they didn't want to, like, encourage me or baby me or anything. So they felt like if they were very strict with me, maybe that would help me. And it didn't. It it just made things worse because I had a lot of trouble interpreting what people meant. And when people act that way, I just take it as everybody hates me. Everybody. So imagine being locked on a ward where everybody hates you or that's your that's your that's your your impression that everybody hates you and that's how I felt so I decided I was going to escape out of there and it's not easy because this unit especially had two locked doors because it was on the first floor so it had one set of locked doors then a little breezeway then another set of locked doors so if you were going to escape you had to figure out how to get through both sets of doors and you had to wait so I was watching to see which staff wouldn't follow protocol because the protocol was to open one set of doors let the patients through that were going out close those doors then open the second set of doors and go outside 
But some staff would just, you know, let the patients hold the door open for the other. And while they're opening the next door, they didn't really pay attention. So I was watching for that. And I saw my opportunity and I took it. I took off, got into a into the field outside and I was running. I was running. I was almost to the main road and uh, boom, they chased me down and tackled me down drag me back inside. I believe it was snowing out at this point because I just remember being covered in icy, icy water. Either the ground was had snow or something. I was freezing. I was covered in ice and wet, cold water. And they brought me and put me into the seclusion room and locked the door. And I sat there and I was in there for hours and I was upset and then they came in before they left me in there for hours they came in and they gave me a shot and I just pretty much fell asleep right there on the floor and um, then it just turned out they just the doctor had decided that I was to stay in locked door seclusion indefinitely like there was no there was no, oh, you be good, you can come out in an hour or tomorrow morning. No, it was just indefinitely. I was in this room. And I don't even think this was legal. I wasn't even an adult. I was a, a kid. But they had locked me in this room and would not let me out. Um, they would come check on me every few hours, give me another shot. Even if I was calm, just round the clock, like every four hours, they would give me a shot to keep me quiet and tired. And then they locked the door back up and they did bring a bed in there because they knew that's where I'd basically be living and so I would just be asleep and between the medications they were drugging me up with and the depression of being locked in that room I I refused I started refusing all food and water I would not eat I would not drink um I was just I I, I, I just wanted to die and I are not even so much that I wanted to die. I just didn't want to live like I had no motivation to eat or drink. I just I I lost completely that that human that human drive to survive. I lost that. And um, it was hard. They they would let me talk to my family they would bring the phone from the nurse's station in there and let me say hi to my parents i think they were insisting on proof that i was you know alive my mom was very sick so she couldn't come up to see me i don't remember if my family came to visit me or not i don't know if they allowed them to or they were denying them to visit me i'm not sure because i was locked in the room i have no idea what was going on outside of there or with my parents um but it got really bad. And it was days that I hadn't eaten. Maybe I had taken like a couple sips of juice, but pretty much I was just wasting away. So they decided, I, my parents and everybody decided it would be best to transfer me to another hospital where I could get more specialized help. And that hospital was where I went next. Um, they put me in an ambulance, they tied my wrists and ankles again in the ambulance to the stretcher and transferred me to another hospital um, close to Boston. It's actually supposed to be like a world-renowned hospital, but 
to be honest with you, I would have rather stayed back at the place I was. Because what do they say? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. I arrived at the new hospital and they'd heard about my incidents and what had been going on. So they were like ready for like no, no, they didn't want not one problem out of me. So they didn't even give me a chance. They put me on a 55-5 room program. That is, I had to stay in my room 55 minutes out of the hour and I was allowed out for 5 minutes. So 55 minutes, I had to sit in my room with nothing. And then for 5 minutes I could come out. That's when I was allowed to use the bathroom or take a shower or eat something. Like that 5 minutes I had to do all those things outside of my room. It was, it was hell. I was all alone again. I knew nobody. These people hated me already because they'd heard about my behavior at the other hospital. And so I continued to refuse um, food, all food and drink. I was like, well, they're, uh, uh, if they're going to do this to me, I can't, I can't live. I just couldn't live. Because remember now, my obsessions are going on in my mind, my thoughts. And they're leaving me alone with nothing but my thoughts. Alone in a room with nothing to do but think and think and think. And that is that is terrifying to somebody who has OCD or obsessive thoughts. And you have nothing to do but run these thoughts through your mind and torture yourself. It was torture. It was awful to be secluded and separated and have like no human contact. And um, like the nurses were instructed not to speak to me, to just hand me my medication and that's it. It was no human contact. And I wasn't allowed to use the phone. (sighs) And then one day, not very long into it, um, I was coming back into my room and I had seen on the door they had wrote down that if I didn't start um, eating and drinking within 24 hours that they were going to start to force to force um, nutrition on me. It was the doctor's order. And I got really scared because I knew that probably meant they would put a tube down my throat and tie me down. Or I didn't know, but I knew. And I think the staff said, you see that? You know what's going to happen next. You're not going to like it. And um, they said, you want something to eat? And I was like, okay. I just was worn down and... and um, they had like Lucky Charms at this hospital, and I love Lucky Charms. So, they um, since I said I would eat something, they let me go to the to the little kitchen and have a bowl of cereal or a few bowls of cereal. They let me have, and then they put me back on my room program. And from then on, I started eating and drinking again. Um, but I was still on locked in my not locked in my room, but. Pretty much, I might as well have been locked in the room because if I came out without permission, I was automatically put into four-point restraints. I forgot to mention that earlier, but the rule was, it wasn't just like if I I have to stay in my room and then I can come out for five minutes. If I stepped over the threshold of my door before it was my five minutes time, they would place me into four-point restraints and they would leave me there for hours. I mean like eight hours at a time with my hands 
um, my hands would were, were go numb and blue from the restraints because they put them so tight and pull my arms so far out of their sockets into these four-point restraints. And my hands and feet would go numb and they'd leave me there. They wouldn't let me use the bathroom. Um, they said I had to use a bedpan, which I never could. I never could. It's impossible if you ever tried to go to the bathroom if, as a girl while laying on your stomach, while everyone's looking at you holding a bedpan. It's just impossible. And I ended up just peeing on myself every time. I just peed on myself. I had no other choice. I couldn't hold it any longer, and they wouldn't let me out to use the bathroom. So now I'm peeing on myself, tied to a bed. How do we go from a girl that's having having a, having a lot of problems, but somehow managing to get through life, and now the way they're treating me in these hospitals, I'm just deteriorating more and more from the, the way they were treating me because the treatment I needed was like not the treatment they were giving me. And the medications were dulling my mind. They were making me not think through things clearly. I I really didn't care anymore about hygiene. Um, it was, it I was just becoming a shell of myself. And I, I, I was just... I was like, if you've seen like the movies in the old days in those mental hospitals, people just shuffling around with their mouths hanging open. That was me. That is what I had become in a matter of weeks from the medications they were pumping into me, from the psychological way they were treating me, from the separation, the isolation. It had just about killed me without killing me. And that's where I was. I was in that hospital and I stayed there for months um, going through that. And I just, I just lost all sense of hope. I just lost all hope. And somehow I, because I am, I am a survivor, you know, obviously I survived, but those were times I don't, I don't even, it's really hard to even think back to them. Um, but I'm doing it for this podcast because I think it's important. And I think even if you just listen to this for the entertainment value, you will learn something about a part of a part of our society that no one really gets to see and what they think goes on inside of a hospital versus what goes on inside. Now, granted, I haven't been inside of a psychiatric hospital in years. Um, I've been living in residential facilities, which are different than hospitals. Um, but... I mean, the same things go on in residential facilities, and we're going to get to that in future episodes because, guys, it only gets worse from here. I know I was, I know I was down and out, um, in in this in this portion of the story, but it gets much, much worse. Okay, that's all the time I have for today. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, please give me five stars or a good review on the on the, your platform of choice. It really helps me out. And thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.